Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. Already, but not yet. This is part two. God has always been a king, and there has always been a kingdom, and there always will be a kingdom. But the kingdom appears in different ways at different times. It looked one way with Adam and Eve, another way with Abraham. It transformed again with the nation of Israel and transformed again with Jesus and the church. We are now in the kingdom, but there are weeds growing in among the grain. Since the kingdom has historical continuity, we can speak of it in the past, present, and future tenses, already, but not yet. In its historical development, it has had and will continue to have major, major milestones as new phases are established. The kingdom was established at Mount Sinai and again in Jesus' ministry. It will be established again at his return and the day of judgment. In each phase, God's people rejoice in what they have and look forward to more to come. One phase builds upon the other. So as we now experience some limited aspects of the kingdom, we gain confidence that the future kingdom will also be a reality. What the kingdom looked like in the past is not what it looked like in Jesus' day, nor what it will look like in the future. But the same phrase may be used for the first century manifestation and the future manifestation. Now, this causes us to look for a common denominator, something the kingdom in all ages has in common, despite its dramatically different appearance at different times in history. So a term such as rule, R-U-L-E, can be helpful. And that seems to be what the Greek word Basilia focused on. Jesus told a parable about a man who went to a foreign country to receive a kingdom. This is in Luke, the 19th chapter. But he went not to receive the territory and bring it back with him. He went to receive the authority to rule. There's a difference. He then returned to the territory and had to exert that authority. The Greek word basilia is focused on authority, not on territory. In this world, kingdom 
is associated with authority and power. Kingdom can describe the authority God has in his family, but it doesn't describe all the blessings God has in store for us. It's a metaphor, and it can't convey all that God really is. That's why other metaphors are used, such as the family term children, which emphasizes God's love and authority. Now, each term is accurate, but incomplete. So all are metaphors, each describing and some aspect of salvation. But none of the terms describe the complete picture. When God commissioned the church to preach the gospel, he didn't restrict us to using only the phrase kingdom of God. The apostles translated Jesus' saying from Aramaic to Greek, and they translated them into other meta metaphors, choosing concepts, listen, that were more meaningful to a non-Jewish audience. Matthew, Mark, and Luke used the kingdom often. Salvation is probably the most general term. Paul said, we have been saved, that's in Ephesians 2.8. We are being saved, that's in 2 Corinthians 2.15. And we shall be saved, Romans 5 and 9. The salvation that we already have, just like the kingdom we are in now, is a foretaste of greater things to come. But it is still salvation and kingdom. Metaphors such as salvation or the family of God, just as much as kingdom, are legitimate, although partial descriptions of God's plan for us. Christ's gospel can be called the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace, the gospel of God, etc. You see, the gospel is an announcement. And it includes information that this has been made possible through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, he didn't emphasize its physical blessings or clarify its chronology. He focused instead on how people get into the kingdom and how they live. We enter the kingdom when we respond to God with faith and allegiance, when we come under his authority. We then seek to live in a way that is reflective of that kingdom. God's kingdom is the realm in which God's will is done. The kingdom would not be worth preaching if we couldn't be part of it, and it wouldn't make sense to risk our lives for it in this age unless we were promised life in an eternal age. We can enter the kingdom only through faith, through repentance and grace. Those are all parts of any message about God's kingdom. Salvation is a present tense reality as well as a promise of future blessings. In Corinthians, 
Paul preached nothing but Christ and his crucifixion. In Acts, Luke tells us that Paul in Rome preached both the kingdom and about Jesus and salvation. Now, these are different aspects of the same Christian message. The kingdom is relevant not merely because it is a future reward, but also because it reflects how we live and think in this age. We prepare for the future kingdom by living in it now, following our king. We are bringing the future into the present already, but not yet. As we live in allegiance to Jesus, we recognize God's rule as a present reality in our own experience. And we continue to hope in faith for a time when the kingdom will be filled to the full. That's when the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord already, but not yet. If we want a world of cooperation, of kindness and love, if we really want that, then that is the way we ought to want to live right now. In one sense, we vote for our kingdom by the way we live. We choose each day what kind of world we want to live in. We can choose to live by the methods of this world or by the methods of Jesus. We're not fully there yet, but that's what Jesus has given us. And he's saying that if that's the kind of life we want forever and ever, then that's the way we ought to be living right now. We're already in the kingdom and we should live like it. We have something wonderful to look forward to and we have something wonderful to live for even now, already, but not yet. The gospel offers more than forgiveness of sins. But the problem with sin is that it messes up our relationship and messes up our happiness. Paul describes sin as a power over us, a power we need to be freed from. Just removing the eternal penalty is only one aspect of the salvation we need. We also need to be delivered from the grip of sin itself. As long as we struggle with sin, as long as we do things that we wish we hadn't done, our salvation is incomplete. Our future may be guaranteed, but our salvation is not yet complete. We look forward to a future transformation that will liberate us from the sin nature that resides within us. Another way of saying it is that we are on the right flight, but we are not yet at our final destination. The future kingdom, the life of the triune God, is brought into the present as we choose to live the way of the future or let Christ live it in us. That's a better way of putting it. 
This is letting his kingdom be manifest in our lives. When Jesus is telling us to do something, he's saying that this reflects the mindset and way of life that is characteristic of the life to which he is inviting us, the life for which he has qualified us. So it is something that we ought to want to do. And when he tells us to avoid something, it's because that way of thinking or acting will not be in the eternal kingdom. It is something we need to be rescued from. Now, some scholars believe that already but not yet refers to the concept of pre-fulfillment of a future reality. For example, Malachi 4, 5, and 6 prophesies the coming of Elijah before the coming of the Messiah. It says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. At one point during the ministry of John the Baptist, he was asked if he was Elijah. He said, no, John the Baptist was not Elijah. But if we read Mark 9, 13, Jesus told the disciples that Elijah had already come. And in Matthew eleven fourteen, he said that John the Baptist was Elijah who was to come. In other words, John the Baptist was a type of the true Elijah who was to come later. The expression already, but not yet, helps us to understand Jesus' statement in Matthew 4.14 and Mark 11.4, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Yet the kingdom was also distant since Jesus repeatedly told the disciples that the kingdom was yet future. The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2.1 and 2, that Christ would come in the future. We're still talking about the already, but not yet. When he comes, he will set up his kingdom. That is, when Jesus said the kingdom was at hand, and yet it is still future, he was referring to a pre-fulfillment of the kingdom because they were experiencing a taste of the future kingdom while the kingdom was in their midst and he was healing and preaching. Another already but not yet example of this pre-fulfillment of Joel 2.28 on the day of Pentecost when the apostle spoke in tongues. Peter said that the crowd had witnessed a pre-fulfillment of the future. The concept of already, but not yet, had occurred. In Ephesians 2, 6, Paul says that, that Christians already are seated in heaven and raised up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But we're still here on earth. Only when Christians die do they go to heaven. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, 
we are absent from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Now, this is an example of the already but not yet. So Ephesians 1 and 3 says that we are already blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means we already have eternal life. We are sitting in heaven and we already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but we will not realize all that until we leave this life. So when Jesus says that the kingdom is near, what he means is that he, his rule or reign is at hand, that you're going to see what God's kingdom looks like in the life and ministry of Jesus. Think about the kingdom of God in the same sense as we think about the seasons. In winter, it gets so cold, but when March 21st or 22nd comes around, although it is officially spring, it rarely feels like spring. Cold winds continue to blow. The temperatures are often in the freezing zone. Spring is here, according to the calendar. It has been inaugurated, but it is yet to be fully consummated. Inaugurated means introduction or beginning. Consummated means complete or finalized. You must still wait for the sunshine and the warmer winds. You wait for the birds to sing and the flowers to bloom. In short, spring has come, but it is still coming. So it is with the kingdom of heaven, hallelujah, it has been inaugurated, introduced, but it has yet to be consummated, completed. It has come, but it's still coming already, but not yet. Now, because Christians await the consummation of God's kingdom, what one needs to consider is what does that kingdom look like in this inaugurated phase in which the church has lived for the last 2,000 years or more? The time during which Jesus is reigning, yet we still await the full consummation of his kingdom. What does the not yet mean for us? How should it affect our faith and lives? We are to act always as if the Son of Man were to come very soon. We are to conduct ourselves always as if we were to face our judgment in the next moment. This is not a stance of anxiety or fear. It's a stance of hope, trust, and confidence that what God has begun in Jesus' life death and resurrection, the already, God will surely bring to a glorious completion in the future, the not yet. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have already been freed from domination by sin and death and freed for life in the Holy Spirit. And so we stand beside Jesus 
and address God as our Father as we look forward in hope for the fullness of God's kingdom. As we live between the times of already and the not yet, we continue to pray, thy kingdom come. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you.